This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Come on, someone say shift. Say it louder, shift. So good to have you today. I'm Pastor Tom. We want to welcome our online family. We're glad that you are joining with us today. Man, what a powerful testimony. I'm just telling you that I just heard. Uh, Wasn't that incredible? I mean, wow, to hear what God wants to do. That's what we're believing for as we come in the 2023, the shift in so many different ways and areas of our life. It's more than just a great word. It's more than just a motivational speech or challenge. I really believe it's something supernatural that there's a divine shift that God wants to do. Just like we heard in someone's workplace, in their their finances, I believe that we're going to hear those types of testimonies in your life, through our lives, in our church, in our city, for the kingdom of God. And I'm excited for what God's going to do in 2023. Turn to your neighbor, say, get ready to shift. Come on, nudge somebody. Say, get ready to shift. Tomorrow starts the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Pastor Kevin introduced that to you. If you're in the audience in person, when you came in today, you received a little business card. On that business card is a QR code. This uh, QR code business card will lead you to all the resources. It'll lead you to the plan. It'll lead you to the daily reading plan, the daily devotions. Uh, You'll be able to download the Faith Promise cards. Uh, Everything uh, will be right there on that website. If you're with us online, you can see the QR code there, screenshot it, or head on over to our web web page, and you'll see shift, and you can click over there, and it'll get you to the same uh, place. This month, as we continue to unpack this, uh, this theme for 2023 on shift, today I want to talk about the power to shift. And we're going to begin over the next several weeks, we're going to begin to look at the book of Acts. We're going to begin to study it. We're going to dive deeper down into it. We're going to look into some of the stories that are coming out of the book of Acts. Now, our reading from our devotional is also in the book of Acts. And so every day when you uh, take that QR code and you head on over to uh, the resources, you download the devotional book, you'll see every day the chapter in the book of Acts that we're asking you corporately that we're all doing it in one accord that we're reading together out of the book of Acts. And over the next few weeks, we're just going to continue to look at different stories and that which God would say to us through this powerful, powerful book. Take your Bibles, click over, turn over with me to Acts chapter 1. We're going to spend a few uh, moments there. As you're turning there, let's uh, just invite the Lord's presence to anoint his word to our heart. Father, I thank you as we look into your word today, as we begin to study in the book of Acts. We thank you for this powerful, powerful word, the word of God that guides, directs, convicts, leads us, guides us, teaches us. Illuminate it to us through your Holy Spirit. 
today as we look at the power to shift. We're believing for a shift, but there's a power, there's an anointing that enables us to make that shift. And I pray that you will reveal, reveal mysteries, even that which I may not say, open up our understanding. Let us receive insight. And all God's people said, amen and amen. We are going to spend some time in prayer and worship at the end. And we're going to invite many, many, many that need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're going to invite you to come. And we want to minister to you at the end of the message today. The book of Acts is a book of action. I mean, it has it all. It's a, it's a book that has miracles and revivals. There's conversion. There's the resurrection story. You've got martyrs. You've got escapes from prison, angry mobs, trials before kings, being shipwrecked, being snake-bitten, prophecies, beatings, dom, uh, demonic conflict. I mean, it has it all. It's a modern-day movie that could be many, many different uh, seasons to it because it just keeps unrevealing and unveiling so much of what God was saying to the early church. It's really a book about people. There's 75 different characters in the book of Acts. You have the apostles, you have the evangelists, you have laymen, leaders that, that are doing the work of God, but then you have the religious chief priests, you have kings, you have governors, you got slaves and jailers and prisoners. I mean, it's a book about people. The first half of the book, chapters 1 through 12, Peter is the key figure. But from chapter 13 to the end, chapter 28, Paul is the key figure. And by the way, if we were to say what happens after chapter 28, if it's Peter in chapters 1 through 12, if it's Paul in chapters 13 to 28, it's you and I on chapter 29 and beyond. Can I hear amen? It's the work of the Holy Spirit through you and I, the people of God. The book of Acts is really a, a book about the start of the church, the early church. It's really a book about church growth and how the acts of God, the acts of the Holy Spirit grew the church. In fact, it's estimated by theologians 25 years after the day of Pentecost that in Jerusalem alone, 50% of Jerusalem were born again, spirit-filled, spirit-led believers, 50%. Now, could you imagine if South Florida were 50% born out, born, you know, born, you know, they're just sold out, born again, spirit-filled believers that love God and worship God like we did this morning? Wouldn't that be incredible? I mean, Broward County alone, 1.8 million people that have yet to come to Christ. Just imagine the task that's before us as the Holy Spirit empowers us. If 50% of that, 900,000 people were to come to Christ, I'm telling you, we couldn't fill buildings fast enough that would enable people to experience the power and the move of God. It's a book about church growth. It's a book where, where, where the church began as a small group. 
and your small group is important. A small group that was meeting in an upper room and that church began to reach out. That small group began to reach the Jewish community, but then it spread through the whole Roman Empire. It might have started in Jerusalem, but it landed all throughout the Roman Empire. It started with a local Jewish church in one language, in one culture, but by the time we get to the end of Acts, it's going into all the world, all tribes, all nations, all cultures. That's what enables you and I today to experience the power of God in this room today because it was a work of the Holy Spirit. And what we know in the very beginning of the book of Acts was it wasn't just for the church in Jerusalem. It wasn't just for that small group that was in the upper room, but it's for all your sons, your daughters, every tribe, every nation, every people group, no matter what your color is, no matter what your background is, no matter what your upbringing is, we can experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I hear amen? That's the power the book of Acts is about the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, the power to shift is the work of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit. It's, it, it shows what we, the church, are supposed to embrace, what we're called to do, what the anointing will enable us to do, and, and how we can continue to do what Christ himself did. It was about the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit through the people of God that were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter would tell us on the day of Pentecost when he stands to preach that what we see in the book of Acts, we can experience today because it's for your sons and your daughters and those that are far off, that's you and me. We're far removed from the day of Pentecost, but the power of the Holy Spirit is the same. Can I get an agreement in the house? That which anointed the apostles and the leaders in the book of Acts and the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit there is the same power that will anoint us as we depend on Christ and the empowerment of the Spirit to do what he's called us to do. That we would continue the work in the ministry of Jesus Christ. That we would not leave the, the, the place of worship until we know that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit and we're ready to go with power. See, the problem today is many in churches, they see church like the religious leaders and the high priests of the day. But they don't see it like the book of Acts church. A church that's anointed and empowered and ready to go under the unction, the, 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 the movement of the Holy Spirit. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. Luke, this is his second book that he has written. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and this is a continuation now because he was talking about Jesus' ministry, and now he's talking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon the people of God, the church, to do the work of Christ. His first book was about Christ and his work, but the book of Acts is now about the people of God anointed by the Holy Spirit, and the greatest emphasis or purpose of the book of Acts was the ministry of the Holy Spirit through believers like you and me. 55 times in the book of Acts, 
In fact, if you have your Bible, if you can keep up, I want to read a few of them. I'm not going to do all 55, but there's 55 references in the book of Acts to the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, after giving through the Holy Spirit instructions to the apostles that he had chosen. Verse 5 of chapter 1, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, chapter 1, verse 8, that promise comes to pass. You will receive you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, telling you what's going to happen. You'll receive power. That's an anointing. That's a boldness. That's a, that's a strength in your spirit, and you will be my witnesses. You will testify. You will share your story. You will share what Christ has done in your life. In Jerusalem, that's where they were, in the upper room of Jerusalem. There in Jerusalem, but also in Judea, the neighboring areas that are around. Samaria, Samaria was just on the outskirts, and it was people that was near them, but not like them. Let me say it again. They were near them, but not like them. And can I say that we have people in South Florida that live close to us, but they're not like us in some way. And yet he says, you will be anointed to share by the Holy Spirit to those that are in Samaria, and then you will go global to the ends of the earth. Over in chapter 2, verse 4, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and when they were, the sign that they had received the Holy Spirit was that they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It was not a language that they had learned. They didn't grow up speaking two or three languages, but the Holy Spirit, when he baptizes us, we get a heavenly language, a prayer language, a language of communion, a language that uh, uh, releases the gifts of the Spirit, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and we see through the book of Acts that the sign was they spoke in other tongues. In chapter 2, verse 17, Peter stands up and says, In the last days, I referred to it, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Touch someone around you and say, that includes you. All people, sons and daughters, they will prophesy. Young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. Nobody is left out. Can I get an amen in the house? It's for all. Chapter four, let me skip over to a, a few chapters later. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, what I'm talking about today is how do we remain filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. By the way, one of the primary evidences that we have been filled with the Holy Spirit the initial sign is that we speak in other tongues, but the primary evidence is that we are his witnesses. The primary evidence is that we are filled with the Spirit that enables us to overcome our fear, to share the Word of God and the testimony of the kingdom of God and the gospel message that we can be saved of our sins. The primary evidence of the Holy Spirit is an empowerment, a boldness that helps us to declare. 
So when we come in on Sundays, when we come into a worship service, what am I desiring is I want a refilling of the Holy Spirit so that I'm newly empowered for the work of ministry, of sharing his message everywhere to everyone. You see, we can't share it everywhere to everyone if we're not empowered and anointed by the Holy Spirit. So in worship, man, we need to be getting under the fountain. We need to be getting filled up. Fill me, Lord. Touch me, God. Oh, let there be an overflow of your Holy Spirit upon me, oh God. Why do I need to be refilled? It's because we leak Monday through Friday. The world, world is beating us up. So much is happening. The world is trying to squeeze us and push us into its mold. And before we know it, we begin to compromise and rationalize and justify our attitudes are not been sanctified the feelings of the enemy and the temptations of the enemy begin to overwhelm us and before we know it we begin to drift into apathy so when we come in on a Sunday I'm just telling you how it happens so when you come in on a Sunday, you got to come in eager, expecting, longing, desiring. Yes, I've been spirit baptized, but every week I need to be spirit filled. Every week I need a refilling. I need a new anointing. We shouldn't beg you to get into the altars. We shouldn't beg you to worship God. You should come in with joy and dancing and say, God, I want to be filled with your spirit. Anointed by the Holy Lord. Oh, by the Holy God above. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts 4.31, and they spoke the word boldly. You'll have a power to witness in your workplace. You'll have an anointing to share. You'll have divine opportunities. You will see miracles through your own prayers as you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me skip a couple chapters. Chapter 7, verse 51. You are just like your fathers in that you've always resisted the Holy Spirit. See, the reality is not everyone longs to be filled and touched afresh. And the reality is we can resist and grieve the Holy Spirit. If we're not careful, we will, we will posture ourselves in a place that we are actually standing against what the Spirit is wanting to do because of our rebellion and our self-centeredness and our self-focus and, and we're so self-absorbed. And in our own insecurity, we can stand against the very work of what God wants to do in and through us by His Spirit. You've always resisted. He speaks to them and says... You've resisted the Holy Spirit. Chapter 7, verse 55, he verses down. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he looks up to heaven and he saw the glory of God. You see, the Holy Spirit enables us to see God's glory. The Holy Spirit, Stephen says in verse 51, he says he's going to get martyred because of it. You always resist the Holy Spirit, but full of the Holy Spirit, he looks up and he sees the glory of God. What I love about worship, I love the worship of this house. I love the depth of worship is not just a song, by the way. It's not just music and not just dancers. It's not just instruments. They help us. 
And we're thankful for them. But worship is yielding and surrendering. Worship is crying out to God and humbling ourselves before God. I love the worship of this house. Because we come in and we yield, we lay it down, we, we surrender before the Lord. We become a living sacrifice on the altars when we come in. And when we are, we crucify the flesh. And then the glory of God is what we can see. Chapter 8, verse 15. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Why? It's because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them that were baptized. Now, this shows us that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a subsequent work to the salvation that man receives. You see, the early church would baptize you when you made a confession of your faith. When you were denying your Jewish inheritance or, or roots or faith and you were turning and saying, I want to be a Christ follower and repented of your sin and, and ask Christ to come and be the Lord and Savior of your life, you were saved and immediately you were baptized. They have been baptized, but now the apostles arrive and they're asking, have you received the Holy Spirit? They had not yet received the Holy Spirit. They simply had been baptized. So in 8, chapter 8, verse 17, Peter and John places their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. You see, there's something about responding and letting pastors and elders and leaders begin to pray over you and they'll lay their hands on you, maybe on your forehead, maybe they'll touch your wrist, uh, maybe, uh, uh, you know, they, uh, uh, you know, a brother will, will touch you as a gentleman on the shoulder or, or a lady will wrap her arms around another lady and begin to pray and intercede over them. What is happening is that we're praying that there's an impartation of the Holy Spirit and we're beginning to agree together there is power in the laying on of hands when I open these altars today in other services speakers will open the altars I mean when the word touches you move to the altar when the spirit is moving move to those altars and let the people of God begin to stir the Holy Spirit in your life powerful 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 why well, I can't go through all of it there's 55 references. 55 references to the Holy Spirit's work in the book of Acts alone. What we know about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit, is, is there is a person of the Holy Spirit and there is the work of the Spirit. The person and work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's agent in the world today. The Holy Spirit is the one that's continuing the work of Christ and what Christ has done. He's a part of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has the same attributes as God the Father and God the Son in that he is eternal. He is omnipotent. That means he is everywhere present. If you've ever traveled, you can go into a church that you've never been to, maybe a church that's worshiping in another language, and you can feel and sense the same spirit of God just as though you were back in your own place of worship. You know what I'm talking about. He's omniscient, all-knowing. 
He knows the thoughts of man. And he's omnipotent, all powerful. Nothing is too difficult for God. Can I hear an amen to that? And it's by the work of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14 and verse 16, it tells us that the Holy Spirit is a promise that was going to be sent to you and I. It says, and I will, uh, and I will ask the Father, and the Father will send. Go back there, and, and he will give you another counselor, helper, to be with you forever. He will be with you, and it's the spirit of truth. The world, the unbelievers cannot accept him because it doesn't see him, nor does it really understand him or know him. But he goes on to say, but you know him. When you come to Christ, you find fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. You know him, for he lives in you, and he will be with you. That's the filling, the infilling, the, the refilling of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life is that we must be spirit-filled. And when we're spirit-filled, not just spirit-baptized, where there's a sign of speaking in tongues, but now I continue to be spirit-filled, when that happens, can I tell you that there is an increasing love for God that grows in your life and your heart? When you're spirit-filled, I'm, I'm just saying, you can't get enough of God. You want more of God. The more you get, the more you want. How many know what I'm talking about? That's the work of the Spirit. We read in John 14, he'll be your counselor. He'll be your helper. When your spirit filled, now he will begin to lead you, and now your spirit led. He's your counselor. He's your helper. He's your teacher. He convicts us of sin. When we do our own thing, when rebellion takes us down a road that we shouldn't, when we reject against God's word and, and God's way, the Holy Spirit is there to convict us, to nudge us, to, 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 to just remind us that we're doing that which is not honoring to God and we're turning away against the principles of God. And therefore, the Holy Spirit is there to not only fill us, but now he's leading us and he's guiding us and he's empowering us to give us victory over sin you see you can't battle sin by yourself you can't overcome it by yourself but through the help of the Holy Spirit we overcome sin and temptation and we get victory through the Spirit we've already said that the work of the Holy Spirit is to enable you and I to be his witness bold in the Spirit to be witnesses to him when we allow the Holy Spirit to be poured out into our hearts, he gives us now strength in our weakness. He cleanses, he sanctifies. But also, we often talk about it a lot, is that the Spirit also empowers. What does it mean that the Spirit empowers? Is that he gives various gifts. When you come to Christ, there's spiritual gifts that are released to you. And those spiritual gifts are meant to bring unification in the body of Christ that we can all grow. Today, I am functioning in a spiritual gift of, of preaching or teaching. It's not a natural gift. It's a spiritual gift. And when you're functioning in your spiritual gifts, can I tell you, it keeps you dependent on the Lord. Because you know you can't do it if God doesn't show up. If there's not an anointing, an empowerment 
then you can't do what God wants you to do. And that empowerment leads us to grow the body of Christ in unity and in wisdom and knowledge of God. But also those gifts are released that bring miracles and brings a new dimension of the Spirit's power because there is anointing that's working through believers that now see that they're empowered by the Holy Spirit and therefore there's a spiritual gifting that moves them out into ministry. See, you were never meant to receive the Holy Spirit just as a form of communi communicating with God and speaking in tongues. No, no, no. The end result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that we move. Remember in the book of Acts, it's a book of movement and action and anointing that we move one mind, one heart, and one accord under the anointing and empowerment of the Holy Spirit to go out into a lost and a dying world. So the power to shift, we see, was released in the upper room. In Acts chapter 1, I read it. Let me go back to it. We have the story of the upper room. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem but wait, if you can underline or highlight in your device, I would underline and highlight the word wait. Wait for the gift my father has promised. By the way, when you're waiting in the upper room, there becomes an awareness of the Spirit's presence. The problem is, is we don't often wait in the upper room. Because we don't wait in the upper room, we don't become aware of the Spirit's presence and promise. But he said, Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father that he has promised, which you heard me talk about. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now this is not a water baptism, but we can we can imagine, or if you can go with me for a moment, just as one is immersed in water when they're baptized in water, this spirit baptism is an immersion of the Spirit of God. There's just an outpouring of God's Spirit that overwhelms and overflows, and it bubbles through and out of us because of the unction of the Spirit of God. If you go down to verse 12 there, we were reading verse 4 and 5. Down in verse 12, it says, They returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. It was about a Sabbath day walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. That room was the upper room. Now, Jesus tells his followers, do not leave the upper room until you receive the promise of my Father which is the baptism of the Spirit. We know that there's about 120 that's in the upper room. Now, what's amazing is in Matthew chapter 28, I don't know if amazing is the right word, what maybe is disappointing as a pastor is in Matthew chapter 28, we know that there was about 500 that were with Jesus at that time. But now there's only 120 in the upper room. 
I just got to tell you, that a preacher doesn't see who's always there. They see who's missing. And it's like, where's the other 380? Where are they? You know, they're going to miss out on what God is wanting to do. But here Jesus is saying, don't leave until you receive. And, and in their hunger, there was a divine desperation that was rising in the 120. I just kind of imagine maybe they started as 500, but time went on and one day turned to two days and three days. And they're wondering, where is the Holy Spirit? Five days and day by day, more and more are just kind of falling off because the shift hadn't come. The breakthrough hadn't come. The Holy Spirit hadn't been released yet. And by the day they get to number 10, there's 120. And that 120, I think, had an attitude that says, we're not leaving until... We're not leaving until there's a shift. We're not giving up until there's a shift. And based on the reality of what happens is that when you're seeking and crying and, and asking in that desperation, there's a revelation that begins to come and circumstances and situations that, that are in our lives that may hinder us once we get filled with the Holy Spirit and we're led by the Spirit and we're empowered by the Spirit and the Spirit's gifts are working through us. I'm telling you, circumstances and situations will not not stop us because we have been in the upper room and in the upper room there's an empowerment an immersion of the Holy Spirit on our life the upper room is a place that I'm referring to now we can't go to the actual upper room but we can create our own upper room the upper room in the city of Jerusalem serves as an example of what will happen when you surrender your life, when you surrender your heart, when there's humility and desperation and there's a cry out to God and you're asking him to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. In that desperation, you've come into an inner room, into an upper room, and in that place, I'm telling you, there's an immersion of the Holy Spirit. In fact, when you look through the New Testament, can I tell you, there's 260 verses in the New Testament that refer to the upper room. In the upper room is where Jesus served communion to the disciples, John chapter 13. In the upper room, it's where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, John chapter 13 again. It's in the upper room where Jesus talks, we just read it, about the Holy Spirit in John 14. In fact, John 14, 15, and 16 all talk about what's going to happen when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. In John 17, that's where Jesus prays that the Holy Spirit would empower his disciples and that through the Holy Spirit, you and I would be unified. It was in the upper room. In the upper room, John, uh, John chapter 20 is where Jesus appears to the disciples after the resurrection. So he's been crucified. He's been resurrected. The disciples are back in the upper room. Their dreams have been shattered. They're wondering what has happened. And it's there that Jesus appears to them in the upper room. We just read in Acts chapter 1 right here a few moments ago, the disciples are gathered together and it's there where they begin to seek for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and 120 receive that promise. It was in the upper room. If we go a little bit deeper into the book of Acts where uh, Matthias is chosen 
to replace Judas as an apostle. And I could go on and on and on. Several places in the book of Acts where it mentions the disciples in the upper room. But the thing I want you to catch in our final moments is that the upper room was a place of surrender. The upper room was a a place of yielding. It, It wasn't just a public building. It wasn't just a, a public setting, but it was a private place. It would have been on the upper level of a house. It would have been a prestigious home. It, it would have been uh, on the second or third floor of that home. Many theologians and scholars believe that the actual upper room that we're talking about today was owned by a widow of the name Mary. She was wealthy. She owned, we know, a large prestigious house in the center of the city near the temple. In fact, in Acts chapter 12 and verse 12, we know that Mary is the mother of John Mark. Barnabas, we know, Barnabas is Mary's brother. Therefore, John Mark's uncle. Which kind of makes sense when Paul has a little issue with John Mark not holding up to his commitment and dedication and, and, and sacrifice of what was needed on the missionary journeys. That Barnabas would have stuck up, uh, stood up for John Mark is because he was his uncle. Now what really sticks out to me, that's all interesting history. But what sticks out to me when you follow that story is John Mark is Mary's son. So John Mark grows up in a home that's totally dedicated to the Lord. It was a meeting place where Jesus would meet with his disciples when they would come into Jerusalem. So here John Mark is, he's growing up in the presence of God and around godly believers and godly men. John Mark would have been exposed to the power of Christ firsthand. He would have saw the anointed ministry of Jesus. He would have been there. He would have heard the teachings. He would have saw the miracles. He was there on the day of Pentecost. You see, the call of God was being birthed into his heart, and he was being trained and prepared from a young age because he was in the presence of God. I can remember we were in Vienna, and uh, we were leading a, a, a great church in Vienna, Austria called Vienna Christian Center. It had multiple uh, congregations and language groups that made up the church. And Candy and I were the senior pastors, but we were also leading two of the campuses at the same time. The English-speaking campus of multiple ethnicities that would come together, and English was a common language. And then the second was the African congregation, and English was its primary language. So we were the senior pastors, but we were leading these two individual campuses. And the Africans, do I have any Africans, especially Nigerians that are here today? Give me a wave if you're Nigerian. Some in the house, all around. Man, I love, I love especially the Nigerians. I love the Nigerians. One thing I love about Nigerians is they know how to pray. 
If I'm ever in the hospital, Candy's going to call a bunch of Nigerians and they're going to do prayer walks all around that hospital. I, I, I remember when Christopher had his accident, my middle son, and he was in a coma about five or six years ago. Alex was the first pastor at the hospital. He came into the room. He's a Nigerian. He got on his knees, and he took Christopher's hand, and he began to pray. At three in the morning, he began to intercede. He began to pray. Where I didn't have faith, he had faith. And I'm telling you, I know God touched him because of the prayers, not only of Alex, but of many, 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 many. And I love the way Nigerians pray. And we were at a prayer meeting one night, and, and, uh, and every Monday night we would get together for prayer, and, and, and we were praying, and we were in a circle, and I was leading the men, and so I was with the men. Candy was with the women, and, and they would have other times that they would pray. And so we men were praying. There was about 12 of us, and we were in a circle. Now, if you've ever watched a Nigerian pray, they don't just stand there. I mean, they put their body into it. Everything, their hands are moving, their legs are moving, their mouth is moving, their head is shaking. I mean, everything is moving. I had Andrew, my youngest son, with me. He was probably about three or four at the time, and I was watching him that night. And so, like John Mark, he was with me in the house at the church, and we were praying, and those Nigerians were just going at it. And all of a sudden, I opened my eyes, and I looked over, and there was Andrew. And Andrew's just moving his hands, and he's moving his lips, and he's just going at it. He maybe doesn't know what he's doing, but he was in the glory. So what am I saying, mom and dad, is we've got to get our children and our youth into the house of God, into youth ministry, into kids ministry. Let the glory of God fall into their hearts. John Mark was in the presence of God and his life was changed. The upper room is a powerful place. I'm running out of time here, but let me just say, we got to create upper room experiences. Can I hear an amen? The upper room in Jerusalem represents this place, this example for you and I. In Acts chapter 1, where we've been, look at verse 14. It says that they all joined together. The NIV says, constantly in prayer. Say constantly. Constantly in prayer. Not just in the temple courts, at, on, on the Sunday services. Constantly in prayer. They were all joined together. Along with the women and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. The King James Version says it this way. Same verse. Acts 1.14, they all continued with one accord. Say that, one accord. In prayer and supplication. So the disciples were in one accord. They were praying in prayer and, and supplication. One accord in prayer. That means in one accord, the church, the body of Christ, was drawing near to God. 
You see, when we come in this place, this is about you and I getting filled with the Spirit, drawing near to God. It's about touching God so that you and I can then go out as messengers of hope everywhere to everyone, sharing our story under the anointing of the Holy Spirit out into the streets, to the highways and byways and everywhere under the unction and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But when we come in this place, what you and I have got to do is be a people that are coming in to his presence to be filled in one accord. Will unbelievers come? Yes. And will we give them an opportunity in a service to receive Christ? Yes. But let me tell you, more need to be getting saved out in the highways and the byways than inside the church building because we're going with a message of hope everywhere to everyone. In one accord. I just want you to say it with me. Get it on your lips. One accord. Get it on your lips. One accord. When you get it on your lips, it gets into your spirit. Say it again, one accord. Gently reach over and just touch someone and say, let's be in one accord. One accord. One accord seeking God. One accord surrendering to his will. One accord seeking for the promise and the gift of the Holy Spirit. One accord coming into an upper room experience where it's a place of uh, of surrender and empowerment. And we're saying, God, we want to become more like you. For we're one accord seeking you, oh God. And when we do, the Holy Spirit begins to work in our life. When we're in one accord... The Holy Spirit begins revealing, guiding, transforming. When we seek Him in a place like this, an upper room experience, we become aware. We develop an awareness of His presence. One of the most important aspects of our life and walk is that we're aware of His presence when we leave this place. The power of the Holy Spirit in us for our daily lives. We're never going to see the shifts that God desires, that you desire, if you don't learn to hear God, if you don't learn to develop your spiritual senses, if you don't find those upper room moments of surrender and yielding. See, the key really is a yielded life, a surrendered life, yielding to the Lordship of the fullness of the Spirit of God. When we give our life to Christ, we receive Him as our Savior. But the key to victory in your spiritual life is a yielded life. Where now you're not resisting Him, quenching His Spirit, or grieving Him because of doors that we open our life, but we're yielded before Him. I love what Psalm 61 says. Psalm 61, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my hungry heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It's a cry in the upper room. Touch me, God. Luke 9, verse 23 says it like this. Jesus said to the crowd, living translation if anyone wants to be my follower if you want to be a Christ follower 
You must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If, say it with me, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. You'll lose it. But if, say if, you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of God will be ashamed of that person when he enters into his glory and into the glory of the Father and the holy angels. God, I got to turn from my sin. I got to turn to you. In the upper room, I find power to overcome. Psalm 130, verse 1. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O God. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a, rep a record of sins, who, O oh Lord, could ever survive? But you offer what? Forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. In the upper room, what happens is you begin to embrace the Spirit of God. In the upper room, you begin to, to commit to live and to walk in the Spirit. That's what happens in the upper room. In the upper room, he, he begins to reveal to you the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. He begins to reveal to you the things that need to be broken. And in the upper room, you begin to strip away the things of this world. In the upper room, you begin to yield and surrender to him. In the upper room, we're, we're empowered to walk in the Spirit and to fulfill the purposes of God in our life. It's in the upper room that you're going to come to know God's will and know God's ways and to fulfill your calling. It's in the upper room. My question is that over the next few weeks, we as a church are going into a season of what I call the upper room. And my question is, will you join us in the upper room. This is in a sense our upper room month. It's one of the greatest ways to shift focus, to shift into God's will and purpose, to shift out the things of the world, the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, to shift it off of you, get it off of you. It's in this month that you begin to realign. Oh, I've tried so many times, that's okay. Come back. And say, God, I'm aligning. I'm coming back to a rock that's higher than I. Tomorrow starts our 21-day season. It's a season of prayer and fasting. Fasting is intended, and God intended it for everyone. And it's, it should be a part of our normal Christian life. Christianity 101. It's not what we obtain to. It should be a part of our life. 
Jesus said in Matthew 6, 16, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. So what Jesus was saying is, it should be a part of our normal life. It's a discipline of our faith. Now I can tell you as one that in the early years of my, my, my life, I fasted every week, weekly. But then there got to be a season where I just wasn't challenged to fast. I didn't have a passion to fast. I wasn't in a place that encouraged us to fast. And can I tell you, I got into a season where I wasn't fasting. And then when we began to come back to uh, here at Christian Life Center, we arrived and, and we began to lead the church back into a time of seeking and praying and fasting. And the church every Friday would fast. And we began just to continue to emphasize it. I began to, to, to make it more of a discipline in my life again to fast. And can I tell you, that word discipline is the key word. Is it takes discipline to fast. But when we do, God rewards us. When you make fasting a part of your life, you get closer to God. You grow in your spiritual walk like you maybe never would have before. You begin to get spiritual weapons in your tool belt of your life that helps you in your daily living. Your receptivity to the Lord and to the Spirit and to the voice of God increases and you become so much more aware of God's purpose. And man, fasting silences the flesh. Boy, it's hard to sin when you're fasting. Because you kind of think in your mind, huh, I'm wasting my fast if I'm going to go sin. I mean, it just kind of silences your flesh. And nothing reveals the, the wants, the passions, the desires of our hearts that are not in alignment with God. Nothing challenges it more than fasting. Fasting reveals the, the carnal man. It reveals where my carnal man, my natural man, is wanting to take control, is reacting the way it wants to react. And all of us are challenged with this. It challenges our selfishness. It challenges our lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and, and the pride of life. Fasting challenges those things. Fasting reverses what's going to dominate your life. Is it going to be the flesh and the desires of the flesh and the things of this world? Or is it going to be the spirit of God? God says he has a fast for you and I. Isaiah says it this way. Isaiah 58 says it this way. I think I have it. Isaiah 58 verse 6. Read it from my notes. Isaiah didn't show up somewhere. It always shows up when I turn away. Is not this the fast that I've chosen? I've chosen to loose the bands of wickedness. You see, if you've been struggling with some sin in your life, if you've been struggling to overcome and get victory in some areas, fasting loosens the bonds of wickedness in your life. He goes on to say, to undo the heavy burdens have you been carrying a weight have you been discouraged have you been in a place of despair or apathy man he says fasting will undo those 
heavy burdens. He will lift it from you. And he will let the oppressed go free. He will break the yoke. He will bring revelation. If you've been oppressed by the enemy, if you've been tormented by dreams, if, if, you've, been, if you've been struggling in your spiritual life, fasting, fasting will bring that freedom. He will set you free and you will break every yoke when you fast. We have our part and then God does his part. So tomorrow we're starting. Tomorrow we start the 21 days and we've done a lot of things that, that will help you come to the upper room. There's different types of fasts. The first is what we call the full fast. Say full fast. Now the full fast is where you drink only liquids, usually just water, no solids, sweets. And you do it for typically a 24-hour period of time. The Daniel fast is where you eat no meat, no sweet, no breads, typically just drinking water and, and juice, eating fruits and vegetables, nuts maybe, <laughs> usually nothing that's tasty. <laughs> That is the Daniel fast. Now, honestly, everyone can do the Daniel fast. It's actually quite easy. You can do the Daniel fast. The partial fast is where you maybe eat one meal a day or you skip a meal that you normally would eat. The Benedict fast was that you would eat only one meal a day. Some fast from sunrise to sunset. But... Where you normally would eat, now you're committing time for prayer. So there's the full fast, the Daniel fast, the partial fast. I want to encourage you to include for the next 21 days what I'm calling the media fast. The media fast. If Paul was writing today, I think it would be in the Gospels. It would be, it would be there. It would, the media fast. Now, outside of what you need for work, for 21 days, can you do without television? Now, I know we got a lot of football coming. I know. I know. 21 days. Can we do without social media, internet, networking, all of that? And where you normally would do that, spend it in the Word. Spend it in the Word. Now, the length of what you fast really depends on what the Lord's laying on your heart. My ask is that every day you do something. Say something. And my, my ask is that every day you do a partial or you do a, a full or you do the Daniel, but every day you do, you do something. Every week on Sunday, determine what am I going to do this week. So today, before the end of the day, determine ahead of time what you're going to do this week. Because if you don't, you're going to get an invite to Ruth Chris. I mean, you, you, you know, you're going to see an advertisement on television and you're going to give in. So determine ahead of time. Set your mind, set your spirit on what you're going to do. This week, maybe I'll do three days full, one day full. 
maybe I'll do all partial or, or three or four days, uh, uh, the Daniel. Determine what you will do. And I want to challenge you not, not to discount a full fast, maybe one day a week. You can do it. Most of us do not have a medical condition that keeps us from the full fast. We have a, <laughs> we have a physical condition that's called hunger. I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Now, if you have a medical reason, then obviously follow what your doctors would say. But for most, we can do the full fast. We just need discipline and a nudge. And that's what I'm challenging to do today. To try to include a full fast. For some, maybe you're at a place where you need to do maybe three, four days of a full fast. Maybe the Lord's leading you to do a little more, seven days. Maybe it's 10 days. Maybe it's longer than that. I've done, by the way, in the 11 years, this is our 12th year doing it here at CLC, I've done them all. I've done the 21 days full. I've done seven days full, 10 days, 14 days, and it's never been the same. So that's what I'm saying is, what's the Lord saying to you? One time I was fasting for 10 days here, and on the 10th day, I knew in my spirit that what God wanted for me, I had, I had done it. And in the rest, I did the Daniel fast for the rest of the 21 days. So ask God what he would have you to do. The number one goal during fasting is to draw closer to him, to seek him, to desire more of him, to let him break control of this world over your life, to, to begin to recognize where the values of the world are controlling you and begin to lay it down before him. During the 21 days, again, First of all, we've given you a little card as you've come in today with a QR code. You'll see it on the screen as well. That'll take you to the resources where you can get all of the resources. One of the resources that I really enjoy is the devotional. You'll want to get that devotional. And every day in the devotional, starting tomorrow for 21 days, you'll see the chapter in the book of Acts that we're going to read. And I just want to encourage you, stay in the book of Acts for the next 21 days. Just read in the book of Acts. If you finish it once, start reading it again. If you finish it twice, read it again. Just keep letting the book of Acts just filter within your spirit. Over and over and over and over again. Let's just stay in the book of Acts. It'll have a devotion. It'll have the scriptures that you should read. Every day at noon, as Pastor Kevin said, our pastors are going to be coming on the social media and we're going to have a, about a 15, 20-minute prayer time at the noon hour. So if you want to break with us and pray over that noon time, we want to facilitate that. And then every single day, starting tomorrow, for the next 21 days, this is going to be a house of prayer and a place that we're praying through. Monday through Friday, 7 p.m. every night. We're going to be praying in the Fort Lauderdale campus. We're going to be praying on campus. Monday through Friday, 7 p.m. Every Saturday, we're going to be doing prayer walks. And on the online uh, QR code there, you'll see where those prayer walks are. And you can be part of that. And then every Sunday, we're going to be together. The last thing. I believe you got it when you came in today was what we call our faith goals, our prophetic declarations. Over the next 21 days, 
as you're in this upper room moment, let God lead you in these different areas of your life. Goals, desires that you're, you're sensing from God, things that maybe you really want to do in your own life, put it on this card. When we get to the very end of our 21 days, we're going to have our nights ablaze. And on that night, we want you to bring your card and we're going to pray over those faith goals. We're going to pray over your, your, your prophetic declarations that you're writing on here, what you're believing God wants you to do. If you're in person, you got a copy when you came in. If you're online, you can go to the QR code there and you can download a digital copy. My question is will you join us in the upper room? If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.